0: You're tuned in to Indie Live Radio and this is our Yes Group Spotlight series. Today we feature Voices for Scotland in conversation with Geoff Palmer. Retired now, Sir Geoff Palmer was a brewing chemist and also the first black professor in Scotland. Alongside his academic work... Geoffrey Palmer is also a prominent human rights activist and is involved in a considerable amount of charity work in the community. He's written a book on the history of slavery called The Enlightenment Abolished Citizens of Britishness. It was published in 2007 and he has spoken out extensively against the slave trade. Indie Live Radio want to say thank you to Voices for Scotland for agreeing to let us broadcast this meeting. We really appreciate it. Hope you all enjoy the talk. Here it is.
1: Um, Yeah, so we're Voices for Scotland. We are a small organisation campaigning for Scottish independence and what we've been doing over the last few months as we've been trying to have different conversations, different inputs into our weekly conversations by having these get-togethers and in-conversation events. So if you haven't been here before, it's great you're joining us. And if you've been here before, thanks for coming again. As I said, we're super excited to have Sir Jeff Palmer tonight, um, who's not just a emeritus life science professor at Harriet Watt University, but most importantly, a human rights activist. And I've I've got so much respect for you and the work that you're doing. And I just think it's, yeah, it's fantastic to have you tonight. Um, We will, when I asked you earlier on um, the week to give us a bit of an input of what you will speak about, you said that we cannot change the past but we can change the consequences of the past such as racism for the better And I think that is just such a positive view of looking at what we will talk about. And I think also a really important view that we learn more about the past, especially the bits that are left off the curriculum, but still have formed the nation so far. So thank you very much for joining us.
2: Well,
3: thank you very much for that kind introduction. Um, And, you know, I live in a a little village called Penicook, which is high up in the hills Mm -hmm. in the Pentland. And talking to people who live different parts of Scotland, on all over the world, is just really fascinating for me. And because I see, you know, I will tell you my connections with with, with Scotland. So during my talk, you'll you'll be thinking about it. I had my DNA done and uh, my my, um, wife brought in the results. In this room in which I'm sitting, and she said, your DNA results are here. And I said, what, are, what, what, you know, what, what does it say? And she said, you're 80% Nigerian, 5% Cameroon, 5% Kenyan, and it went to
0: 97%.
3: And she stopped. And I said, well, what's the remaining 3%? And she said, it was Viking from Shetland.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: and then she smiled and said, it explains a lot. <laughs> so again, I was—I've been talking about Scottish connections for years, you know, before two thousand and seven, and I now realise that I have not just a heritage or a cultural connect, uh, historical connection. Mm-hmm. I have a genetic connection, <laughs> and a lot of Caribbean people—they have that connection. And when we were talking about an event in Scotland um, some time ago about the Scottish diaspora. You know, there was a picture in the newspaper and it was about um, the diaspora was just a whole load of white uh, men, mainly in, in, in kilts. And I wrote to the newspaper and said, well, Scotland has a diaspora and a significant part of it isn't white. And they changed the photograph and inserted an Asian young man reading
0: Burns.
3: (laughs) So again, you know, we have this response to our history, where people are not really um, fully aware of the significance of this history, that in fact, you know, little mistakes like that are made. But we hope that, you know, with the work we're doing and you're doing, that we will change that in, in order that people can realize, and this is the, the essence of what I'm going to talk about, we're one humanity, nothing less. And the differences between us, in fact, I made a video for the Scottish government, um, I think it was last year, and it was called We Are Scotland. and um, and, and that is my view that everybody living here, um, is part of the uh, of, of the citizenship of this country, and that we are incumbent to do all we can for it. Um, and um, I, I said before that got me into some trouble when I said, you know, that the people of Scotland should decide their their future. And of course, I got other people from all different political parties, some applauding me and others. I um, didn't like it very much, but I only said something that applies to most countries in the world. Now, in terms of my uh, historical connection with, with, with um, Scotland, um, I, you know, my genetics, my DNA says I'm of African origin. And my ancestors were taken from Africa during slavery. But somehow my genetics is, is, is telling you that. So my ancestors have not gone back to Nigeria or Africa to live over the last 250 years, but my genetics tells me that my ancestors were taken from Africa and were they stayed in Jamaica all that time. And I'm the product of that long history. Now, Scotland, was involved in that history um, and in that history sadly is called chattel slavery and we must recognize the difference between and I had it today we had a meeting earlier with another council not not Edinburgh and you know one of the the speakers said yes you know Scotland was involved in in slavery but you know we had um slaves in Scotland you know, miners or salters, And um, I didn't want to, you know, have an argument, but the point there is, is that a chattel slave, and this is where we must begin, a chattel slave, a British chattel slave, had no right to life. A British chattel slave was property. And that's why in 1833, 34, when the slaves were emancipated, The slave owners got about $20 for their property. They were entitled to it. That's what the law said. And that entitlement did not apply to slaves in any way. They didn't get a penny. So Scotland slave owners received compensation. And we can check that. It's easy because it's on the slave compensation list of which... I've got a copy in, in this room. And the largest recipient of slave money or money for compensation for slaves was received by Sir John Gladstone. And many of, of, of you who are listening are in walking distance of where he was born, because he was born in Leith. And he went into the slave business. And as I said, and his son, he's the father of the famous William Gladstone, but he received about 80 million in today's money for his 2,508 slaves, 2,508. And he had slave plantations in Guyana, British Guyana it was then, and Jamaica we also have if we're going to look at it in 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 contrast you know we have the politician henry dundas and i've been struggling as you know to get a appropriate plaque placed on his statue in saint andrew square and um he was a politician that stopped william wilberforce abolishing the slave trade and others for 15 years from 1792 to 1807, and he was impeached in 1806. as the last British politician to be impeached for taking Navy's money. He was impeached in 1806, and the slave trade was abolished in 1807. The academics will say, oh, it was the French Revolution, and it was towards the end of the French Revolution, and that's why slavery was abolished. Historical facts are that he was impeached in 1806 and the slave trade was abolished in 1807. Some people say, well, the House of Lords let him off, so he wasn't guilty. The point is he had to resign from the government and also as a member of the Privy council. So it was a serious act. Now, Scotland's involvement when I summed it up and said, you know, Scotland had 30% of the slave plantations a total in the Caribbean and owned over 30% of the slaves. And if you look through in 2007 to try to get an idea of that a relationship, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a scientist, so I did a bit of lateral thinking. And then I sent off for a Jamaica telephone directory. I don't know why I did it, but I did. And when it arrived, I looked at it and was surprised by the names in it. Over 60% of the names in the Jamaica Telephone Directory are Scottish. My mother's name is Lamond. My cousins are Moats, Woods. Um, And um, I I can't even remember some of the others. Gladstone. There's also a Gladstone Wood in, in my family. So we have a link there through names, which are not African. But these names were taken from probably slave plantation owners. And my family still live on my mother's family, my mother's side, still live on a plantation in Jamaica called Marshall's Pen. And Marshall Pen, as a slave plantation, was very large, over 900 acres. But my family live on a small few acres still. But it is called Marshall Penn. And the entire plantation is also called Marshall Penn. And it was owned by Lord Balcarras. You know, there's a Balcarras Street in Edinburgh and a Balcarras Court, I think. And Lord Balcarras was Dundas's, Henry Dundas's governor in Jamaica between 1794 and 1801. He was the governor and he became a notorious slave owner. His wife lived on George Street. She had two houses there. I think one was the Laura Ashley Building. And he has a great estate. The family still has it in Fife. So here was my family living on Marshall Pain, Marshall's pain. And I do I'm doing now a lot of work in the relationship between Henry Dundas and Balcaras. Um, so that's how close. The history is, it's in touching distance for some of us. Now that is Scotland's link in a a small nutshell um, of the relationship between Scotland, Africa, and the present descendants heritage. Now, if we look at, you know, um, how can we bring about any change? And we're talking about change. I'll focus on how black people are seen. And um, black people are seen in many ways as David Hume from Edinburgh described them in about the 1750s. You know, he got up one morning and he said, in his view, non-white people are inferior to white people. And, And he's especially focused on Negroes. And of course, can't the philosopher, um, picked that up and changed it into race. That's how race came about, as an academic concept. And of course, the slave owners picked that up and said it was a justification for enslaving black people as slaves in the Caribbean. So we have that concept and it still persists. And I'll tell you a couple of stories that last year, I went to give a talk at Edinburgh Festival. And when I arrived at St. Andrew's Church, um, the attendant there said, um, um, uh, um, You know, can I help you? And I said, Yes, I've come to give a talk. And she said, um, Looking at the, the, the list, she said, No, you can't be giving a talk at two o'clock because that talk is being given by Professor Sir Jeff Palmer. And only a few days ago, I went to another organization and um, I phoned in, as you have to now, and um, the the person on the phone said, um, what's your name and what's your age? And I gave both. And I was told to come in. But when I got to the glass door, uh, the young lady saw me and she said, um, uh, you cannot come in here without an appointment. Would you please go away and, and make an appointment? And I said to her, well, I am Palmer, you know, who you just spoke to on the phone. And she said, what? And I said, yeah, I'm Palmer. Because on the list she's got, I'm down there as Sir Jeff Palmer. So again, we have a situation and it's not these people's fault. It is the way they were educated. And it it is that miseducation as we we would like to to call it that has caused the problems that we have today it is that attitude from um david hume that killed george floyd and you may think god that's an extreme no it isn't it is the policeman inherently believe that the person who's kneeling on was inferior to him had not contributed much to the society, and therefore he, he, he wouldn't be reprimanded you know, for it, not even his colleagues standing next to him thought it was wrong. And I'm speaking to you today is because of that sad incident. The world saw how black people were perceived and treated. You know, there've been killings before but nobody has witnessed it over nearly nine minutes. And I think that we have a lot to do in order to change that. And it can be changed. As as I've said, we can change the consequences of of the past, but we can't change the past. So it's no point somebody saying to me, but that was the past. No, the past has consequences. One of the sad points is that we... Sometimes have academics, historians, and we're in the middle of that battle at the moment. Where, you know, I've, I've managed to get Edinburgh Council, with a, other people's help, on a committee to discuss the changing Henry Dundas's plaque to say that, with one word, he gradually abolished the slave trade. And during that period of gradual abolition over 15 years, about 630,000 Africans were transported into slavery on the basis of one word, gradual. And all the politicians at that time knew, they knew that in fact gradual meant never. The prime minister Pitt says it, I've got a plaque in my room here where the quoting Pitt at the time. And he said, it was, Gradual meant waiting for a contingency, refusing to act until a thousand favorable circumstances unite. That was what Pitt said, and that meant never. And therefore, we still have academics today saying Dundas was an abolitionist. When one of his greatest slave owning friends and, and associates would Gundas help the slave owners. What, in fact, um, uh, James Bailey, MP for Horsham, said, that abolitionists were low men. In fact, the full quote is, abolitionists were, um, you know, um, ignorant low men. And therefore, he couldn't be referring to Dundas in any way. So we have a definition of an abolitionist coming from a slave owner. So academics we must get them to stop um manipulating the truth because the scottish people can take their own history they can take the good and the bad of it they don't need historians to 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 moderate it and manipulate it for them and many places i've gone in scotland from the north to the south to the east to the west and i've given lectures since 2007 since the commemoration of the abolition of the slave trade and the consistent response has been a consistent response why hasn't anybody told us this truth before and the point is what they're saying. they've never heard of Dundas and his role in the slave they've never heard of Gladstone and his slave ownership they've never heard that the Grants of Speyside or the Sterlings of Kerr And all these other people were involved in slavery to a great. They've never heard of the Weatherburns. They've never heard of Oswald. They've never heard of Oakencroof House, which i visited. They've never heard of the stained glass window in the cathedral and the necropolis, which is built by a slave owner, and the Gallery of Modern Art, which is a slave master's house. And a significant number of the houses in the new town are built or bought with slave money. I looked at one the other day, which was about a thousand pounds before slavery was abolished. Today, it's 2.78 million in the new town. The point is that that history cannot be changed. And if you uh, did not know what I'm saying now, then in fact, you've been shortchanged on your education. And people like whether it's Michael Fry or Tom Devine and, and the other historians, uh, you know, Professor Cairns, all these people have been involved. And you now have Tom Devine writing that slave owners and Dundas were working together in his book, in one of his books. And uh, recently in the, in the, I think it's Herald on Sunday, you may have seen it. The journalist, the journalist, I think it's Kevin McKennan, who actually wrote an article quoting Tom Devine regarding Edinburgh Council as a kangaroo court because they put the truth on Henry Dundas's plaque. The point is that the, the journalist, you know, referred to me as a chemist and um, as somebody working with the council, which is not true. And and then in the same breath he describes Sir Tom Devine as a historian of very high standing and also of a particular cheer in history. And what he's doing at at a stroke was the readers who were reading that would see me as not being qualified, not being able to say anything to the council, whereas Sir Tom Devine is perfectly highly qualified to do so. And that is not true. And thank goodness, you know, one of the, the vice principals of the Edinburgh University, um, you know, James Smith, actually put on Twitter, and it was so good to, to see that, because what we're lacking are people in authority to speak out for people who don't have the capacity or the chance to speak up for themselves. And what he said that myself and Tom Devine were equally qualified, were both emeritus professors of respective universities. He also said that the chair, this great chair of history is a myth. And he also refers to the newspaper article as biased in its representation and this is 2020 last week now why is that necessary the point is that buried in our subconscious is this slavery and therefore it must change because that article, people may smile, but if that were in the United States, somewhere in the south of the United States, somebody could have done me a lot of harm. And I've done nothing other than try to say, from what I've read and what research I've done, this is the situation. I try to make it evidence-based. Now, you know, how can we, you know, within a diverse society, make it diverse management because a diverse society without a diverse management is going to be inefficient we have people of different cultures different attitudes different behaviors and we need to know how to manage that and to get the full potential out of people you know i'm from the caribbean and i'm a black boy brought up in a tough part of Kingston. I've lived in London. I've lived in Haringey, Haringey. And, you know, I've managed to get through the educational system with a lot of help from a lot of people. And when Guinness wanted an expert to go to Nigeria to help them look at their um, brewing difficulties, they didn't ask about colour. They picked the person which was at the the best capacity to solve the problem. And that's what we should be doing. A lot of my students are doing very well in Scotland. They're part of the Scotland's economy. And I won't call any names, but some of the the most successful craft brewers in in, in Scotland and in the world are my students. And therefore, that's what we need. We don't want this um, picking and choosing based on a pigment. So as far as I'm concerned, and I'll stop because I don't want to keep you too long, (laughs) um, that Scotland has had that relationship and link with slavery. You know, but the point is that we if we when we understand that there are good people out there and we don't want the, the historians making excuses for them. They don't want that. They wouldn't want a Joseph Knight case, which abolished slavery that people are told. And therefore, that gives you an excuse. You know, it balances. You've abolished slavery, so therefore you are involved in slavery, so that in fact balances. It's a nonsense. Evil is evil, it can't be balanced. It can be adjusted and, 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 and changed for the better. And therefore, um, this nonsense about the Joseph Knight case, um, you know, Scotland abolishing slavery before British slavery was abolished is just nonsense because I've said to the people involved, define Joseph Knight slavery. I've defined chattel slavery. It's a black person that had no right to life and was property. Joseph Knight was a servant and therefore you cannot abolish slavery with a servant. But finally, what I would like to say, you know, respect of what I've said, the most important thing what I've said this evening is the professor, from Edinburgh University who actually called out the attack of which the Herald on on, on Sunday and and Kevin McKenna leveled at me. And that's one of the most significant aspects that we can do to stop racism is to call it out, whether it's your friend, your family or associate, or when you're at work. And finally, you know, my experience has told me that we're all one humanity, nothing less. And that's what we should recognise as we move forward. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much. Um, Really, I really appreciate you sharing all your experience and um, insights here. It's just, I've I've seen you speak before and I'm always, um, yeah, I think it just really... Everything you say, it stays with me after the conversation because it is such an interesting insight that I won't have. You know, the experiences you live, um, other people won't have. And I think it's really important that we make sure that more and more people learn about it. And Professor Palmer, there was so much in in what you were saying about um, why it's still important to talk about the past and learn about the past. I'm myself, I'm from Germany. So I grew up in school with constantly learning about the Holocaust, about um, the Nazis, about all the horrible, horrible crimes that were done during that time. And we did it in school over and over again. And to the point where I was like, can we just like learn about the Egyptians for one point? You know, we, we've we heard it. Um, But I was really, really surprised when I came here that there isn't an equivalent about the empire and slavery in the current school curriculum. Why do you think it still is in 2020 that we haven't um, included that now? And also, what impact do you think it has on young people and also on young black children to um, know that this has happened, but it's not actually part of the collective um, education system?
3: Well, it it is, you know, one of these things that has surprised a lot, a lot of people. But in fact, I've spoken to some teachers or, and I've, you know, I've I've discussed it with with a lot of people. And one of the the view, and it's not only in Scotland, the view was, well, we don't want to teach that horrible history to children, it will, it will, it will affect their well being. And therefore, It isn't taught because people feel that their history is is not, you know, it's not acceptable and shouldn't be taught. Other people have just left it out because they don't like the idea of that Scotland was involved in in, in this slavery. You also have a a situation whereby a lot of the teachers are completely ignorant of this history themselves because they weren't taught it. So we've had a... um, an attitude throughout the whole country for since slavery was abolished or before. And therefore that must change. And the Scottish government has just set up a galleries committee. So the government is starting to do something. The council I was speaking to earlier before I joined you has set up a committee and we are going to look at this history. The Scottish government set up a a galleries um, museum Um, steering group, and they want to be advised on the histories in our museum and how we can um, uh, make them functional in terms of our education um, uh, uh, system. So the government has finally recognized it's at government level for the first time. And I think the changes will come. You, You know, for example, Glasgow University, actually looked at their history, came up with the truth and said they earn about 200 million and that they're going to set up scholarship links with the Caribbean and with the black community in, in Britain. The Harriet Watt has just um, uh, worked a, a scholarship with the Royal Bank and Nat West Bank and they're going to, 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 to fund um, a scholarship for B, a BAME um, um, student. So a lot of things are happening. People are looking at museums. Um, they're looking at um, their, their, their um, uh, institutions. Their 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 buildings. They're looking at their companies, and we just hope that at the end of this, we will get a significant change where our representation within our society will be different, and it won't be race based.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much. We are—we're obviously an organization campaigning for Scottish independence, and often the the conversation is based around um, how we get independence or that we should all want independence. But at the same time, we often talk about what country we want to be and Mm -hmm. how our organization, for example, we're very um, much—we always say we want an inclusive Scotland, we want a truly equal Mm -hmm. Scotland—and so I think it's really important that we have these conversations about um, the past and how how we actually got to where we are right now but also where we want to be once we're in independent Scotland Mm -hmm. Uh, what questions do you think um, you know society should ask itself before becoming independent or starting an independent process what do you think is like really the yeah the core questions we should ask each other of what country we want to be
3: if you want to be, you know, independent, as, as you said, and, and you've got every right to want that, it's not for me to not tell you that. Yeah. The point is that if you look at many of our councils and if you look at our parliament, the ethnic minority, but BAME representation in our governments are poor. They do not reflect the BME population in the country. And that is something which, you know, the politicians will have to try and redress. It's difficult if people are not going to vote for BAME people. But we also have a situation where some BAME people don't want to take part. And therefore, if people don't want to take part, it, it means that they don't feel that um, they want to be a part of a system, a system of governance. And thus, one of the first things about um, our, our independence. I think that we should start thinking about, you know, how are we going to get a, a fair representation across our country, so that the people within it can feel they're taking part in the government governance of the country they live in.
1: Great, thank you. And um, I'll just have a quick look at the um, at the chat. We've got a question from um Benjamin
4: Carey my, my, my question was your personal experience to show that there clearly is still a lot of racism in Scottish society the the government is doing some genuinely good initiatives and also local authorities but what do you think is going to change society because it's all very well the public sector doing interesting useful things but what, what is going to change attitudes amongst us
3: well, Benjamin, well, you've, um I've not known you for years, but since the time I have, and it's with, um, uh, George Floyd. Yeah. And the point is that you've spoken out, and you've um, b- been involved, or, or make yourself involved. And the point is that, you know, the ordinary person, as I say, can speak out, can, in fact, no matter what their connections are, decide, I don't want to be a part of that. I, I'm going to speak out and defend this change and and i think that people are still fearful of doing that you know they feel they're a part of a gang of which they're not supposed to um speak out and i think that is wrong and i will tell you one example and it was before the george floyd situation and i spoke to a large group of people yesterday and i could sense you know this difficulty of how are we going to get better representation from the powers that be you know because people black people apply or asians apply for positions and they get to the final stage of the interview and they get rejected um and what i i said it's for the management of the company to set up structures to ensure that that doesn't happen because if these people are in the company they're qualified they're able the point is that there are nuances of interviews and expectations. And in my little book, I call it um, system consciousness. Is how do you give people system consciousness so that they can negotiate the system? Because the system has these little nuances, which are used to reject people. And companies know that, and they must deal with it. And I did some work with the NHS, um, uh, uh, Edinburgh and the Lothians, and they realised that they had only four BAME managers, four, when you consider the size of the nursing staff, very highly qualified, but four managers. And a course was set up, a training course designed to deal with aspects like interview failure. And... And, and and I gave some lectures on that course and other people, even the BME people didn't trust it at first. There was a lady, you know, called um, Mrs. Sullivan, that's right, who was involved as a nurse, black nurse on that course, Mrs. Sullivan. Now, within three years, less than three years, because of that course, we've now got over 25 managers. From the BME community. That's what needs to be done. It has to recognize the problem and be honest in terms of, of solving that problem. I'll give you one example. One young man was wearing a particular kind of linen suit for his interview. He was a great nurse. But because he was wearing the wrong kind of, 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 of clothes for that, for this interview, he was rejected. And I had a word with him and I pointed that out. I said, okay, if you're on a plane, you know, and the pilot comes in smoking a a fag in slippers and wearing a t-shirt and said, I can't fly and the door is open, would you stay in? And he said, no, I wouldn't. I said, that's what they're saying. No problem since. The point is that um, it is what I call a Eurocentric society is keeping it Eurocentric with people who are from different backgrounds. And it's important to poor white people who don't understand the nuances of rich white people or middle class white people. And therefore we need to use education to get rid of those prejudices. Some of them racial, some of them are class. And that's where I feel that we need to do. And people like you, Benjamin, who have spoken out, And like the principal of Edinburgh, the vice principal, who actually saw that article in the the Herald on Sunday and spoke out. And, And I think that will change. A lot of black people have seen that. So let's do what we need to do to remove this Eurocentric aspect of our society that actually discriminates. Thank you.
1: And surely also what you've been talking about all along that actually Scotland isn't just as Eurocentric as we think. There's always been people from other cultures and um, black people who have contributed mm. to this country, but we seem to remember it the way that it's taught at the moment as a very specific way. Um, so actually one of the questions that did came up from um, Leah um, Gunbarrett barrett is, um, wait, actually sorry, Nina Monday asked before do you think within the debate of Black Lives Matter, we could also talk about the horrible legacies of colonialism?
3: Well, well yes, I mean, the legacies of colonialism, a lot of that is slavery. You know, you had, had 800,000 slaves in the Caribbean, you know, covering lo- most of the Caribbean islands in terms of population uh, for one country. Of course, you've got India and you've got um, other parts of the the world where where Britain has colonies. At one time, I think Britain was managing a fifth of the world. (laughs) So, you know, um, colonialism is there. It's spread all over the world. And I think we should address the consequences of that. Um, It it is not just about slavery. I'm talking about slavery because uh, it, it is the the black population in the new world you know which i've described as the most profitable evil the world has known where human beings were bought and sold for for hundreds of years and that is not you know um it is colonialism but with an addition to it which must be accepted thank
1: you um Leah, do you want to um, come in and ask your question?
0: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Professor. Um, really wonderful work that you're doing. I think as you're, you're correct that education really is the key. And I grew up in the United States, you can probably tell from my accent, in the 60s and 70s, and there was really nothing about our, the genocide we committed against the American Indians. Certainly, slavery, peonage, a lot of these things were just not taught. So I think, uh, really, we're talking to change attitudes, you have to start with educating young people. So how can we ensure that the history of Scotland's involvement in the slave trade is a part of the Scottish education curriculum, the school kids actually learn this history?
3: Mm. Well, we had a meeting last night with Edinburgh and Lothian Lothian Regional Equality Council. And I've made that point, you know, that how can we Get the government or the politicians who manage the our educational system to, to get them to put this in as a, a mainstream option, not just nice to do. As they say in the north of Scotland, you know, we don't want it as nice to do, so the teacher can do it if they like, and they cannot do it if they don't like. The fact is it must be there like maths, physics and chemistry, because it's there to change attitudes and to educate. Now, the point is that what we agreed last night was that Elrec will write a letter to the education minister and copy it to the first minister. Um, Because somehow still, people are afraid to put, whether it's the history of the Red Indians in America or uh, or the, the black people in Britain or elsewhere, it frightens them, the word black slavery. Um, it, it is because it was horrific. It was, you know, a person, human being, was legally, legally, had no right to life, and was property. Nobody said that about any other race, ever. That was the law. And and therefore, this is where we're coming from. And people have dodged it, and and not addressed it, and it ended up with George 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 Floyd. And therefore we must all, if we have links with our MPs and our our, our councillors and whatever, that's one way of starting this this movement to say to the MP and your your councillors, we think this change is important and and how can it be affected?
1: I think that's a good action point for us all to take away and um, work on. Um, Mm -hmm. Let me just have a look at the questions
2: um, Heather, yeah, do you want to come in? Hi, just about that. Uh, Scots don't really know their own history. I mean, we, we, um, history is taught within the context of the UK. And I, I I, would very much doubt that there's a lot of Scots actually even are, are even aware that Sc- uh, Scottish people were involved in slavery because when, we're, when history is taught, it's taught as the great British Empire. So people in Scotland mm-hmm. tend to think of slave owners as being English rather, yeah. rather than Scots.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: and I think the, the whole thing is, you know, I, I'm talking as a teacher. I, I, I uh, you know, when I was teaching history to primary children, it would be things like, you know, Mary Queen of Scots, uh, William Wallace, You know, just that, that sort of thing. But, and then, you know, when we went to secondary school, we're in secondary school, that's the Industrial Revolution, you'd think the Industrial Revolution never even touched Scotland, it all happened down in England, everything happened down in England, you get taught about the Victorians and everything, you're never taught about your own country and your own countrymen's responsibilities and what they did over the years. So I'm not surprised that people don't know about uh, Scots involvement in slavery because everything's taught within the prism of the UK. Uh, I mean I didn't I didn't myself realize that there were slave owners uh, in Scotland. Uh, until you know more recently uh, and that's, that's because I thought it was all you know the slave owners were all English uh, because it was English history that was taught to me when I was at school mm-hmm. and, and, and I think we've got to start teaching Scottish history uh, if we are going to actually bring all these elements in does that make sense?
3: Yes, absolutely. I've even had a black person on a, on a program recently, and she was always referring to the English slave owners. That's a black exactly, person.
2: Exactly, exactly. You know? I mean, it's horrendous. And, and I think we tend, uh, you know, as, as far as America is concerned, I think they tend to bury all the bad parts of their histories and portray themselves as the goodies. You know the Indians are all the baddies in all the movies and everything like that. Uh, I, you know the, people want to portray themselves as you know the good guys, and I think that's part of you know part of the problem.
3: Oh, thank you very much. That, that's 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 absolutely clear, and but, this is something we must try and change, in a yeah, sense separately. that. It, it It is and, and it, it, it is interesting for many Caribbean people because they're Scottish descent. Yes, yes. Whether genetics or through names, and a lot of us, it's, it's genetics. Um, I have,
2: I have a, an African-American friend, and her name is Macklemore. And she said, you know, I, I probably descended from some uh, Scots uh, slave, slave owner, you know, in, in her heritage, you know, because she's got a Scottish name. Uh, it's, it's, it's oh, yeah. You
3: can tell from our, our skin colour.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know,
3: that you, we didn't take this um, skin colour from Africa.
2: No, exactly. <laughs> and therefore
3: it, it is there. It's obvious. It's just that uh-huh. we so try so hard to deny this.
2: Yeah.
3: And, 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 and historians are saying, we can't teach them that. One historian actually told me that he wouldn't, he, he wrote a book um, and, 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 and and because he felt and, and and moderated it because he didn't think the Scots could take their
2: history. Yeah. I mean, Clara said earlier, you know, that when she was at school, that she um, learned about the Nazis and whatever. I think that you, you have to own your history. And by that, you have to own the bad parts as well as the good parts. That's right. Thank you. You have, to, you have to take responsibility. Thank you. Okay, thank you.
1: I think we've got um, another question from Norman as well. Um, Norman, I'll just ask you to unmute yourself.
2: Hi.
4: I'm, I'm torn with lots of bits and pieces of questions as a result of your, your talk, no uh, Professor Palmer. Uh, and, and, I have a question which I submitted, which I'll come to in a second. But see, when you started off explaining about your DNA, I'm yes. I've had my DNA done as well. Yes. And I look white. Don't huh. But in actual fact, there's a woman buried in a southern necropolis in Glasgow, uh-huh. where I live. And she is mixed race. And she's my great, great, great grandmother. And she's Wonderful. my direct female ancestor. So you well, know from DNA testing, um, uh, Professor Palmer, that see you can track your direct female ancestry just yes. I so so, so right. I I know for a fact that her mtDNA, which is my mtDNA, it's sub-Saharan African. Right. And no ifs or bouts, I've had it tested by different companies, um, right. and it's all come back to the same thing. Um, you were tracing some of your ancestry to various. Uh, West African countries yes. um, from a, a, a group that uh, I'm in touch with in America. They're saying that the nearest match for our sub, subgroup of this particular um, the Black African the lineage, uh, the nearest match at the moment is in Burkina Faso. or right. Air, um, <laughs> Which is a bit of a revelation for some of my extremely white relatives <laughs> descended from the same person. Um, the, the, the story, however, about this particular person, uh, where she's buried, is not quite lost. There's layer numbers and so on, but you can't find her because right. the, the vandalism in a southern acropolis, if you've ever been there, is extreme. Oh, yes, yes, I know. And uh, I've no idea what kind of memorial would have been there, but since her son-in-law was a, a, a bank crack, I think he would have raised some money for it. Um, yes. But it's always long gone. But, see, uh, this lady, there is a portrait of her. I have it somewhere in my house, but I didn't think I would be talking about this. You can tell, if you're an honest person, you can tell she's mixed race. She's not 100% European. You're kidding. It's obvious. But her white descendants invented a story. Right. Not as much to deny that she was black, but to just blank out the possibility. And it's like a fairy tale. And it's completely... It's not 100% false. It's built on some facts. But see, you know, they attempt to deny it It is ridiculous. But most of their descendants now know otherwise, can I send them DNA results? But (laughs) see, the interesting thing is this is uh, a young lady as she is in the portrait I've got, which was when she married in Willemstadt, Curaçao in 1813. Mm -hmm. Um, She married a Gaelic-speaking army officer in the British right. Army of Occupation and this was during the Napoleonic Wars. Right. And he took her back in the end of the day to the Western Isles of Scotland, to an island that's now uninhabited, was totally Gaelic-speaking, her, their only child, their daughter grew up speaking a Gaelic language to age 18 um, and when her husband died rather young, she had to claim the, the war pension. She had to go to a garrison in Glasgow to prove her identity and so on. And that's how she lived out the last days of her life in Glasgow. And how I come to be here, because I'm you know, i a Glaswegian, right? So I'm part of this whole damn empire thing. Not <laughs> just the British Empire, the Dutch Empire, the Dutch right. slave trade, you know? Mm. But on another side, and this is maybe more pertinent to our discussion just now, I'm also related to a slave trader, Um, a Scottish slave trader from Ocultree in Ayrshire, nice little conservation village, you wouldn't think it, in South Africa, in Cape Town. And his last deal I found on the internet was for 500 people. My great, 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 great uncle Sandy, 500 people. Right? And this deal is like a conspiracy between two, three Scotsmen at the Cape in 1807, after the Act had already been passed in London, abolishing the slave trade into British colonies. And it was just a sleek, it absolutely sleek, it conniving deal. Um, and I've always kind of way. I'm proud of this connection at the same time as finding it utterly abhorrent, you know. <laughs> You can't deny who you are. And I'm sure mm-hmm. that must apply to African African Caribbean and Afro-American people a lot. That yes. if they know that they're also descended from the slave owner or a slave driver or some damn white person, you can't cut that out of your DNA. Absolutely you not. You can't, what do you do? Cut a leg off? I mean, you can't do that. So, although I'm not descended from this slave owner, the slave, slave trader. Um I, you know, I can't shrug off the connection. And you, you were talking about the um, people who claim compensation. This man had died long before that came about, but two of his children, who would be my first cousins, four times removed, claimed compensation for slavery all the way from Cape Town. But they didn't have many at that point that looked like household servants or anything else, but they had the nerve to claim compensation. Um, but, but there's many other aspects in which Scotland has been villainous, quite frankly, in the empire. And there, there were Gaelic-speaking emigrants in Gippsland, in the what's now the state of Victoria in Australia who massacred Aborigines mm-hmm. and they, led by an Angus Macmillan from Mull. And they called themselves the Highland Brigade. Isn't that great? <laughs> I, bet they, I bet they had a Union Jack and a Saltar. <laughs> and they had rifles. And the Aborigines are throwing spears. And uh, at a place called Warrigal Creek, uh, the date is not in my mind, but uh, it's in a wee article I wrote for. I was asked to write an article long years ago in the nineteen ninety or thereabouts by the anti apartheid people in Glasgow for a book that was being presented to Nelson Mandela when he came to Glasgow. Uh, Norman, I,
3: I think. It's,
4: Sorry, I'll get around to the question. Yes. Okay, <laughs> no, it's all but, right. Say, the details about warrigal Creek of in there. My question, okay, and it's a question that's been in my head since the 1980s and there's never been a place for it till now. Apologies for the poetic nature of it. It came from a particular experience. Will the redeeming reign of independence wash away the stain of empire? <laughs>
3: um, I would answer that by, you know, the first... Um, statement which was made: We cannot change the past, but we can change the consequences. And whether it's an uh, uh, an independent or a non-independent Scotland, then Scotland is is a country. We're all standing on it. It doesn't change, and and therefore what we've got to do is to take the responsibility of. You know, there is something, you know, a lot of Jamaicans are brought up with the Bible. You know, I had to go to church three times every Sunday and I could not, not go unless I was sick. And that's a Scottish thing. And um, one of the things I I learned at Sunday school was that, you know, there's something called the sins of the father. And that's why I, I use the concept of consequences. The point is that a decent Human beings are about looking at the consequences of the past. And I think whether Scotland is independent or not, then in fact, that's a responsibility that uh, 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 people living in Scotland
0: have.
1: Thanks. Yeah, I think I think this is a really important point, because although we can talk about what country we want to be once we're independent, the reality is that for many people, there are still inequalities that matter to them right now if we're independent or not. And you said before, we there's a few actions that we can take in order to help elevate the people in society that are currently discriminated towards or that are um you know, suffering from institutional racism. So we all can, you know, we, after we finish this call, we can all write our MPs today and say that we want to ensure that um, the, you know, education curriculum actually has black history on it, and that we get taught these things. And we don't need to wait for an independent Scotland for making that happen. So I'm sure we all have a few things that we can do later on. Um, just to check, we've got seven o'clock now. I think I'm gonna take a few more um, questions before we finish off. I know it's, I know a lot of times around seven um, people turn off because they wanna go and have their teas. Um, <laughs> but I think we'll take a few more questions just because um, it's just, yeah, we just wanna make the most of having you here tonight. <laughs> Professor Thank Bata. you. It's just really great. Um, one question actually I wanted to ask as well was that um, the Geneva Center for Slavery Studies launched two days ago in Glasgow and um, I was wondering if you could give a bit more information around the Beniba Centre if you have any and um, whether you think that having these sort of institutions are opening up now and teaching us more about the past whether that will lead to having a more insightful um, society.
3: Well I think that a centre which has a specific remit uh, for doing that is, is a good thing. Um, but w- what i'm 'm worried about is that it doesn 't take on what we 've had before you know this academic leanings in one way or the other The, the point is that what i 've tried to do is to link the history with what people can see mm-hmm. so if you 've got the Gallery of Modern Art, we can do a great history about that. you know we can catalogue its beginning from seventeen seventy eight right to today, but if in fact we don't say that slavery allowed somebody because of their slaves to build that, and he built it with so much money, and therefore there is a link between that building and the circumstances that produced it, and therefore that justifies us doing something. The point is that, you know, Michael Fry, the historian, actually says, and we don't want that from any more research. We've had masses of research that has led us to the situation where Michael Fry in the, in the papers last year, this, the Times, said, you know, this is the past, and the standards of morality then are different from now. This is what he's trying to say. And, and therefore, you know, in Redundas, was a really powerful character but you know that's how powerful we were and we did bad things you know but so what we had a big gun so we did it my attitude is that as i said before that evil is evil and modern times doesn't change that it it is insulting to people of the past to say that they had less intelligence less capacity less feelings, less humanity, because it was the past. It's absolutely nonsense. A lot of what we do today are based on the values of the past. You know, we still you know, um, recognize and accept, thou shall not kill. We don't say that was the past, and therefore those values don't apply anymore so we can kill anybody we like. Yeah. It's nonsense. So centers must be careful of the academic nuances, and they must, in fact, relate that history to the human beings and the circumstances of those human beings today.
1: In um in your book, The Enlightenment, you um you actually dedicated um it to um Robert Reverend Robert Wedderburn. Yes, uh-huh. um, who was um. A black person who got basically got written out of history and mm-hmm. um, abandoned from his family, and I think when we talk about the past, and, and a lot of times people say, oh well, it's just the past it doesn't matter, but we've clearly we've got a large population, or we've got population in Scotland that are black that do not know any black historic figures, and that um, you know systematically had people written out of history. So what do you think? How do you think that impacts young black people when they don't see any representation in the history when there was clearly people there?
3: I think that, you know, um, when I was a boy in London, I, um, you know, and I was brought up probably differently from the, say, like my children were very much aware of, you know, um, their history and attitudes and whatever. I was brought up like my mother. We had no idea about black history. You know, we were just poor people who migrated to London in the fifties. That's when I arrived, 1955. And we just lived and tried to make a living. I only became politically active when my, my wife brought home once who's a psychologist, a list. And she was a psychologist in, in Crawley. And she brought home a list with ranking the educational capacities of different races. And Afro-Caribbeans were at the bottom. And I wrote my first article, the Times Educational Supplement, pointing out that that list was based on falsehoods. And and, and, and and therefore, white teachers were saying black parents had unrealistic expectations of their children, unrealistic expectations. It meant that you are slave derived, you haven't you have got brain in your head, and therefore, you can't expect your children to go to college and university. And that's where we've come from. And and therefore, what I'm I'm hoping is that black kids are much more more aware of their history, but I don't want it to be a palliative. We're gonna tell you something about your history that's too bad. It's got to be part of their education too. It's not got to be some sort of a weapon of complaint. It's got to be part of their education so they don't kill each other in London or elsewhere. And and that's what the the curriculum change must be. It's not, you know, take down two statues and every time you complain about racism we'll take a statue down for you. My attitude is that third statue that comes down should be racism. Black history isn't about, you know, every little October you, you, you have a few meetings. You know, I I love the October focus. But Black history throughout the year must be about history that's part of the curriculum, part of our life changes in terms of for the better. And I don't want Black people to have this history to think they can use it as a weapon. It should be part of their argument. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. I think um, we'll end it on that now. Thanks so much for um, taking the time to speak to us tonight, but more importantly, taking so much effort in your life. You know, you're very busy man um, aside from your activism. So it's really, as I said before, I really respect you for the work that you're doing to educate all of us on the history that we we don't know otherwise, and um, we haven't learned otherwise. So thank you very much. I think we all um, know what to do today is to write to our MPs and also put a word in that we need Black history in the curriculum. And so everyone keep an eye out for LREG's letter so we can write in support as well or just write anyways. So um, yeah, thank very much for joining us tonight. I'm gonna do our (laughs) fundraising bit as always. Um, So if you'd like to support our work so that we can keep this conversation going, Um, please feel free to give us some money if you can't give any money um, if you share our our, uh, social media posts share them with your friends invite other people to those meetings that's also much appreciated but yeah once again thank you very much for joining us and um, have a lovely evening everyone
3: thank you very much for asking me and stay safe thank you
2: thank you bye
0: You've been listening to Indie Live Radio Yes Group's Spotlight Series where we broadcast talks and presentations from Yes Groups all around Scotland. That was a meeting organised by Voices for Scotland with Sir Jeff Palmer. If you want to find out about their other events, have a look for them on Facebook, Twitter and their website, which is called voicesforscotland.scot. And again, the Indie Live Radio team Want to say thank you to Voices for Scotland for agreeing to let us broadcast this meeting. We really appreciate it.